0: Uh, We're going to be starting a series called Unwrapping the Gift. Unwrapping the Gift, which seems sort of like a Christmas series. But, you know, they have those Christmas and July sales and stuff. So maybe this will be Sunday school. Christmas, Sunday school in July. How about that? We're going to be talking about Unwrapping uh, the Gift. And this week you may hear a lot of familiar verses. You may hear some things that aren't, uh, maybe not. If you've been in church any time, you may have heard these before. But I'm, I'm believing that the Lord... Uh, wants to do something in each of us uh, through this series as we look at unwrapping the gift that God has given. And we're going to start out in the passage, the verse today, uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." Now, this is the first time that we find the Holy Ghost mentioned as a gift. It's mentioned as a gift several times in Scripture after this, but this is the first time that we have the Holy Ghost referred to specifically as something that is a free uh, thing that is given, a gift. And the emphasis upon this, the way that it's worded uh, in the Greek, is that the emphasis is upon... The gratuitous part of its nature. That means the emphasis is on the free part. That the Holy Ghost is a free gift that is imparted to you and I. The Holy Ghost is not something that must be earned. Aren't you glad about that? The Holy Ghost is not something that can just be inherited like Packers season tickets. They have to be passed down from generation to generation. Consequently, you have to get it for yourself. The Holy Ghost is not for a certain people, it's not for a certain color, it's not for a certain economic class, it is for everyone that wants it. In fact, the only requirement to receive the Holy Ghost is repentance, which means a conscious turning away from sin, from the way that you are following, and then you have to be willing to yield yourself to the Spirit of God. Those are the only requirements. If you're willing to say, Lord, my way's not working, I want to follow your way, And if you're willing to say, Lord, I give myself to you uh, 100%, then the Holy Ghost can be yours for free. Now, I do want to emphasize at the start that I believe that this receiving the Holy Ghost is a necessary part of the new birth experience. It is necessary. We understand, too, that the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost is speaking in other tongues. And we see this repeated throughout the book of Acts, that as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke in a language that they had not learned. The, uh, speaking in tongues, it says, is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's the evidence to the person receiving the Holy Ghost that he is doing something that they have not learned. They recognize, uh, when you were filled with the Holy Ghost, you recognized that you were speaking words that you did not know. That you were speaking a language that you had no natural earthly ability or with to do that. So it's an evidence to myself. It's also evidence to everyone around that God has done something within that person. And I think it's important for us to understand that it is necessary uh, to be filled with the Holy Ghost, to complete a new birth experience, and it is necessary to demonstrate the evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's not enough for me just to feel like I've received something. There's an, there is an exhibition, if you will, of what I have received. And so this is necessary to complete the new birth experience. You can be on the path, you can have repented, you may have experienced baptism, but until you receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, your new birth experience is not complete. Now we see that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is like nothing else that's ever happened before in the history of humankind. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us this, Receiving the end of your faith, Even the salvation of your souls of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you Peter is saying that this that we're talking about the Holy Ghost salvation This is what the prophets search for if you read the Old Testament and they're talking about things to come This is what they were looking for. This is what they prophesied about This is what they searched for and now because of the grace of God you and I have it today It says searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Now I think it's important for us to understand uh, what is going on here. We know that Scripture tells us that when a sinner repents, or when somebody repents, what happens? All of heaven rejoices. That's why when somebody repents, it's a big deal because in heaven there's a party going on. The angels are excited. The Lord is ex- there's there's all there's a party going on in heaven. But understand what Peter says here: that when a person is filled with the Holy Ghost, what happens? While everyone rejoices in heaven when someone repents, this verse tells us that when someone gets the Holy Ghost, all of heaven becomes jealous. They desire, they look in and desire what we have, because there has never been anything before like the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The angels have never seen anything like the infilling of the Holy Ghost, let alone experience anything like the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's something that's so dynamic, and it's so powerful that the angels, how many of you like to see an angel? How many of you are scared to death if you saw an angel? Because there's power, and all this stuff, and halos, and glows, and, and the foot of your bed, nothing, out, it, the foot of the bed is not a good place. When you wake up and look at the foot of the bed, and something's there, that's just, it's time to go back to sleep. No. But we think of angels as powerful and all this kind of stuff, and the angels themselves look in and wonder at the power that has been given to us. You see, I think it's important for us to understand the power of the Holy Ghost that is placed inside of me. In fact, it makes me stop and think a little bit and wonder if I might need to appreciate more what has been put inside of me. If heaven itself, the angels themselves, are looking down this morning at you and I wishing they could have what you have, I wonder if I should appreciate that just a little bit more in my life. We find that when we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive a power unlike anything we have experienced before. You should have felt like it was something you never experienced before. Hopefully you felt something that you never experienced before. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The word used for power in this verse is the word that is connected with the Holy Ghost, is the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. That there is a power inside of us that is an explosive power connected with explosives. There's something dynamic inside you and I. <laughs> There's something powerful that God has placed inside you and I. And you sit here this morning and, and, and we've, we've got up. I don't know how your morning was. I don't know if you woke up tired. I had a bad night of sleep. I slept all night, but I had this. You ever had one of those dreams? It wasn't a bad dream. It just wore you out. I'd built this house. That didn't wear me out. I'd built this house out in the woods. It was this beautiful cabin thing, and there was people staying with us, and it was in the woods, and and on the road going past, these two carloads of people drove by just making all this noise, and I was like, oh my goodness, just keep on driving, just get out of here. They were in two old station wagons, and they were full of people. And I I look out the window and they stop just up the road and they get out and they start yelling and screaming at each other. And then they start walking back my way and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Well, then across the road, like the drain starts overflowing and it starts coming towards the house and they start grabbing stuff off my house, off the porch and throwing it, trying to stop it. I'm trying to tell them, what are you doing? What's going on? Then they all wanted to come in and take showers and baths and, oh man, it wore me out, wore me out. Don't know what it means, but it wore me out. (laughs) Anyway, dynamite. I don't know. But there's something that God has placed inside of us. That as we sit here today, no matter the morning, the night of sleep, no matter what we ate for breakfast, as we sit here today, there is a power inside of us that is unlike anything in the history of the world. It says the prophets looked for this. They search for this. While we look back and are like, Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and all these guys, and that's right to look up to them and what they did. But they would love to sit, as good or bad as you feel this morning, they would love to sit for five minutes just with the Holy Ghost inside of them. And that's what we sit here today with. This power that is just dwelling inside of us. We're talking about unwrapping the gift. You see, we have become the temple of God, Scripture tells us. that In the Old Testament, they would go to the tabernacle. They would go to the temple. Even in the New Testament, they would go to the temple. And there was a spot where God was associated with... That God would dwell. But we know in the New Testament that Paul tells us that we are now the temple of God. That God is not just with us. That God is now inside of us. And that he dwells with me. That's why when we say you can take this with you. You don't just have to come to church to feel this. That's what that means is that you are the temple. So wherever you go the spirit and the power of God can go with you. Now I can point back to the moment in time that I received the Holy Ghost. In fact... Uh, Whatever, I don't know if it was last Sunday or whatever Sunday it was I I put some rocks right there where I received the Holy Ghost. I can remember that point. I remember uh, I don't have any recollection of the service In fact, I was passing notes to a girl the whole service and thought I was Going to get myself a date and instead I got the Holy Ghost. I don't know what happened at altar call (laughs) I did not listen to one word of that sermon See it goes to prove he just just responded altar time just go for it and the thing that took me so long to get the holy ghost because you know This is kind of crazy, you know do you, things that you heard when you were a kid that just like Were in your mind and it was probably some offhand comment by an adult Somewhere i'd heard and I don't even I don't think this is uh, true But i'd heard somewhere that that the devil could give you fake tongues And man, I was freaked out by that I was freaked out and I, I wouldn't speak in tongues because I thought it was the devil So I finally had to get past that, uh, that it was the devil, and it wasn't, it was actually the Holy Ghost. But I remember that moment in time, I remember receiving the Holy Ghost, I remember speaking in tongues for the first time, and that is a fixed moment in my life. That is a moment in time that I can look back to. However, while my first experience of the Holy Ghost is a moment in time that is fixed, my experience with the Holy Ghost should not be a fixed moment in time. While I can see the initial spot and say it was right there and that is that moment I will never receive the holy ghost for the first time again. That was it My experience with the holy ghost should never remain a fixed moment That means it should progress my experience with the holy ghost should be an ongoing one not a settled one Scripture very clearly gives us the idea that we should be growing and it gives various areas that we should be growing in but I understand also that I should be growing in the Spirit as well. Now I understand my love is supposed to grow. Uh, my witness is supposed to grow. There's, I'm supposed to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. I understand there's all these areas. But I must grow in the Spirit as well. I must continue to unwrap the gift that has been placed inside of me. Now this is important for me to understand too. Is that when I received the Holy Ghost, I did not receive a portion of the Holy Ghost when I was filled. Okay, and I I think we kind of know that, but our brains don't quite work that way because we want more of the Holy Ghost. Give me more of you, Lord. I want more of the Holy Ghost. Well, he said, I'm in you, so um, besides me being in you, how do I get more in you? When I received the Holy Ghost, I received the Holy Ghost, It wasn't just like a little sample. It wasn't just like a little piece and then you you add to it No, when I got the holy ghost, I received the entirety of the holy ghost So it's not about me getting more of the holy ghost. Really. It's about the holy ghost getting more of me That's the problem But it changes my mindset when I begin to think i've got all of the holy ghost I have everything inside now really it's it's kind of Uh, You know, a lot of things that we see as as wrong or pagan uh, The devil's a liar. He's an imitator He takes a little bit of truth and twists it and adds to it and then we have this lie And while humanism is not true, it does have a kernel of truth in it Wouldn't that be great if there was an actual kernel of truth? Um, I don't know why I thought that either But in it tells us humanism tells us that to look inside of ourselves To look inside. Well, you know what when I have the holy ghost that is actually the truth Everything that I need is inside of me. Now, I'm not humanistic, but I understand that in the Holy Ghost, whatever I need to accomplish, whatever God has asked me, whatever circumstances throw my way, everything, if I will look inside of myself, is in there. I don't need to pray for more of it. I don't need to ask for more of it. It is already inside of me. Perhaps I just need to unwrap it a little bit more in my life. You see, we seem to be in a constant struggle. And I've mentioned it before. At that moment we received the Holy Ghost, we're yielded to him. That is a requirement to receive the Holy Ghost. But from that point on, it seems like it's a constant struggle as I fight to pull back some of those things that I gave to him at an altar at that fixed moment in time. And there was areas that I probably had given it to him, but since then I've had some better ideas about what I could do with those parts of my life. And so it's a constant struggle about how much and which parts of my life The Holy Ghost will have total control over There's some areas i'm good. Yeah when I come to church and lift my hands, he's got control of my worship He's got control of my praise He's got this and and when it's a really big decision or when a crisis hits i'm going to get down and pray But there's a lot of areas where I fight and struggle with that control So which areas of our lives are are we going to allow to remain comfortable? And really which areas Are we going to allow in our life to be areas of faith? In the Holy Ghost So this is where we start to get looking at it. Do I have enough faith, really, to unwrap the gift? Do I have enough courage to unwrap the gift? Now, there's two ways you can treat a gift. And you could be either one of these people, and this is no reflection upon you. Either one. There are those who, when they get a gift, something they've really wanted, these are the people who want to keep it in pristine mint condition. These are the people that are concerned that when they get that uh a lego set or when they get whatever it is uh whatever it is that you've wanted you want to keep it in the package because someday it will be worth something someday hmm. and that's crazy what some stuff's worth we were at uh we went to that uh they had the comic thing here in town at the community center and there was a guy selling all sorts of uh stuff and they had these uh 19 whatever it was star wars uh Guns there. They were like, I think they were $150 in the original packaging. And I I told the boys who were with me, I said, wouldn't it be cool just to buy those and right in front of them just rip the boxes open and pull them out? Obviously, I'm not the person who likes to keep it pristine. (laughs) But there's people that when they get something, they want to keep it in pristine condition. They want things in mint condition because of what it may be worth someday. Let's go talk to all the Beanie Baby people. They want the. They want the packaging left on, they want the box left unopened, they want it left alone, they want to put it in a container or put it on a shelf, somewhere where it might be able to be seen and the enjoyment that comes from that item is from what you can see of it, but it cannot be used. The joy comes in the fact that you know you have it, I've got it, and the joy comes in the fact of what the future price may be for it, that there is your grandchildren's inheritance lined up on that shelf. They receive uh, and then there's those who when they receive something that may be you that you want to keep it and, and keep it pristine Then there's those that when they get something the packaging is just the biggest hindrance there is to the item And it lies in a million pieces on the floor It's not just opened in the box The packaging is just shredded everywhere and there's tiny pieces that have to be vacuumed up because you want to get at what the item is That kind of person receives no pleasure in just looking at it, but they want to use it for what it was intended to be used for. (laughs) I have one child that would probably keep every piece of candy wrapper that he's ever looked at, if possible, and he would keep every Lego box that we have ever purchased or he's ever received, and we would, well, we'd just be hoarders at that point, (laughs) But, they, but the, they weren't made to be put in the box. When I got a toy as a kid, I w- the last thing on my mind was preserving the packaging. I wanted this A-team van to play with. If it sits on my shelf, what in the world? And don't laugh, it was a great A-team van. It was a big one, indestructible until I destroyed it. <laughs> and, uh, well, anyway, we won't keep talking about things you... Okay. But there's the people who want to keep it on the shelf and look at it and keep it nice and neat. And there's the people who want to use it for what it was intended to be used for. And you can, that's fine if you, if you want to keep it, whatever. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost, I would challenge you not to keep it on the shelf. While we are the temple of God for the, and we are created to hold the Holy Ghost, we are not created just to be a holding place for the most dynamic power the world has ever seen. We are not created just to be a container, a vessel for the Holy Ghost. We do not take our Holy Ghost, put it in something, put it on a shelf, and then the angels gather around and look at it and wish they could have what I have. No, that is not the intended purpose of the Holy Ghost. And I know that I have talked about, and and we've talked about it many times, about hiding the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us to discover those, use them for His kingdom, and I believe in all that. But it's not just our talents and abilities that God has given us. He has given us something greater than any talent, any ability, and that is the Holy Ghost inside of our lives. And I wonder sometimes if we don't take the time and the effort to develop our natural abilities, but we forget to and we forsake the developing of the Holy Ghost within our own lives. Because no matter how much I develop my my strengths, no matter how much I work on my weaknesses, if I could somehow tap into the power of the Holy Ghost, it would be greater than any strength that I have, greater than any weakness that I have, because the Holy Ghost is the most dynamic thing that I possess in my life. And so I do not negate the fact that God has put things inside of us and gifts and abilities and we should develop those and use those for our kingdoms, for our kingdoms, for his kingdom, but (laughs) that's the complete wrong thing to say. (laughs) Use them for his kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want us to neglect the Holy Ghost inside of us. Because it's in me, it goes with me, and I know it's part of the new birth experience, and I don't just want to leave it as part of a new birth experience. I want it to be dynamic and real in my life every single day. I want to unwrap everything that God has for me in my life. You see, I wonder how much Holy Ghost that you and I have buried and hidden inside of us. Just think about it. If you have the entirety of God living in you, how much of it's coming out? I wonder what would happen if we would begin to rip the wrapping off of the Holy Ghost, that free gift, and begin to use it for its intended use. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us." The power is the same in you and I. There is not one person in here who has more Holy Ghost than the other, if you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we think they do. We do we think in our head. They have more of the Holy Ghost They may be more in tune with the Holy Ghost The Holy Ghost may have more of them than it has of you, but we do not According to the power that worketh in us that means that there's some people if the power differs from person to person Then there's some people you really don't want to pray for you because they might not have enough Holy Ghost We have to pick and choose who has enough Holy Ghost to do this But that's not true. Every single person has the same amount of Holy Ghost. That's why anyone that has the Holy Ghost can pray for someone and they can be healed. Because it's not according to us, it's not just a minuscule piece that's given to each, it's according to the power that works in us. But I I would like to change that if I could rephrase it to say according to the power that we are willing to unwrap and use in our life. You know, there's some people that have never seen anyone healed, not because they don't have enough Holy Ghost, because they've never had enough faith to pray in the Holy Ghost for someone to be healed. has nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. Those who want to keep the package on the Holy Ghost, or those that don't want the item to be broken or damaged because they fear it will affect the value of the item... There's people like that with the Holy Ghost. They fail to unwrap it in their lives very often because, and here's here's the thing, and we'll talk about this in later weeks. One of the reasons that we fail to unwrap the Holy Ghost in our lives is because we seek a guarantee of success, a promise that we won't fail. That's what faith, when I have to step out in faith, that's an issue. I would love if the Lord says, You know, I'm going to ask you to do this, and you're not going to look dumb ever. You're not going to mess up ever. It's just going to happen. That'd be great. But when I enwrap the Holy Ghost, I gain growth. Whether I fail or succeed, I gain growth. The reason we don't see growth in the Holy Ghost is because we are too afraid to fail in the Holy Ghost. If I step out in the Spirit, I want to know that I'm not going to fall flat on my face and look stupid. I mean, really? I mean, let's just talk. And we, we'll probably talk about the gifts of the Spirit in and, and, and following weeks, weeks, uh, weeks. I'm still thinking about the drain leaking there. Um, but, I mean, how many of you have prayed when there's, there's something happening, or there's tongues interpretation, something, and you're just praying, Lord, don't let it be me. Because you don't want to look dumb. How could you accomplish anything in your life if that was your attitude? I don't know what a nine-month-old thinks. It'd probably be pretty interesting. But as a nine-month-old begins to walk, if somehow the thought could cross their brain that, you know what, I am not going to take a step unless I know for certain I'm not going to fall. Wouldn't ever walk. Even, even with the parent there, you know, you missed them a couple of times. I won't ask whether it was on purpose or not. But how would you accomplish anything if you were more scared of failing than doing what it was? You wouldn't take a step. Somehow, the fear of not doing that has to overtake the fear of failing. How about riding a bike? How many of you ever rode a bike? How many of you would learn if you knew, I'm only going to ride that bike unless, the only way I'm going to do it is unless I know I am not going to fall at all. About driving the only way i'm going to drive is if I know i'm never going to get a ticket or never going to get in a wreck How many of you that's the only reason you started driving was so no But for some reason we're all right with that in the physical we know that without practice We can't do anything very good We know that we're going to mess up we're know we going to fail and what we tell our kids as long as you did your best that's all right I don't know i'm not going to ask you again whether you're lying or not but You you have to practice at it. You're, you're going to take a swing of the bat and you're not going to hit the ball every time. What do we do? Pfft, that's it. Six years old. Swung of the ball, missed. I'm never touching a bat again. Never. Unless I hit it over the fence every time. Well, let me ask you. In the natural world, we're all right with that. We understand that. But when it comes to spiritual things, no. No way. No way. It's got to be right. It's got to be perfect because I don't want to look foolish. You look foolish every day trying stuff. But when it comes to spiritual things, no, we can't do that. We think with spiritual things there's no room for error. There's that a mess up is the worst thing ever. It's irrevocable, irreparable, there's nothing that can be done to fix it. However, if you read the scriptures very carefully, if you read past sometimes the highlights of Sunday school, you're going to find a lot of messed up people that tried stuff and messed up a bunch. And God still used them because they had the faith to fail. They had the faith to step out and mess up. Theodore Roosevelt had a very famous quote. It goes like this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who at best knows in the end triumph of great achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. We're not talking about backsliding here right now. Really, we're talking about that last line that old Theodore said. So that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. See, really, we're talking about stagnation. It's not that it's defeat. It's just not that it's victory either. We have the Holy Ghost and we're living life. We're not talking about the defeated but we're not talking about the victorious. They just are This is not about finding what your talent is discovering what gifts you have If you have a whole the holy ghost then you have a gift greater than any talent or ability And it's given to each person that wants it in the same measure Will you be victorious or defeated or stagnated with the holy ghost? We find the parable of the talents in matthew 25. I told you you probably have heard a lot of these verses and stories We know the story there was three servants one was given five talents the other four the other one was given one The ones with five and four Uh, the master left gave them that said do what you want with the money The ones with five talents and four talents they went out and they doubled their money And the servant with one one talent. What would he do? He buried it when the master came back. We know he calls for an account. He says what'd you do? The first one says I doubled it. He says great job. The second one he says I doubled mine as well He says great job. Then when it comes to the last guy he says what'd you do? He said I buried it and did it turn out good or bad for him? Turned out pretty bad for him. And we find that the master calls this servant that buried his talent wicked and slothful. Now slothful is not a very current term. It's not something that you probably use that word every day or even every other day. But sloth is something that's a, it's an old term. It, 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 it kind of means lazy, but it has a little bit more than that. If you know the seven deadly sins, it's listed amongst the seven deadly sins, which is not uh, necessarily a biblical thing. It's just a tradition thing. But it's listed in there, but it was seen as something more than just lazy It wasn't just well that guy doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to do anything It was also seen as something spiritual that there was something spiritually slothful a laziness about it But it also means this sloth consists of a loss of meaning A loss of purpose and a loss of hope coupled with the indifference to the welfare of others That means they just are They don't really have a meaning They've all kind of lost their purpose, kind of lost their hope, and they're just living life. Hmm. It's really the opposite of zeal and joy. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, perhaps the spirit of sloth has come over you and I at times, where it seems like we've lost the meaning of what we're supposed to be doing. We've lost our purpose, perhaps even lost some hope. And really, our main concern is not others. It's mainly ourselves and just getting through. That is what he called the servant who buried it wicked and slothful that he lost the purpose That what had been given to him He had lost the reason for why it had been given to him. It was given to him for a purpose Unwrapping the gift talking about this is for those who perhaps feel a loss of meaning A loss of purpose a loss of hope even which has turned to an indifference to others you care But you don't you're here, but you're not Don't forget in this story as well that the master comes back to reckon or to settle the accounts. He wants to know from the servants what they have done with what he has given them. Now we talk we use this because talents and talents man that just goes right along He gave him five talents of money and our talents that we have in our life But I want you to put this in in the idea of the holy ghost What happens when the lord comes back and says what have you done with the holy ghost that I've placed inside of you? Was it just part of a fixed moment in time when you receive salvation? Is it just something that you use to stay saved and you speak in tongues every so often just so you know that you're still saved? Or what have you done? Has the Holy Ghost lost its purpose in your life? Because its purpose is not just to save you. There's a whole lot else the Holy Ghost wants to do in your life. And if it's not doing that in my life, then maybe I have lost the purpose and maybe I'm a little more slothful than what I realize. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation is the name of Jesus. If anyone builds upon this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. This is not about works. Well, 1 Corinthians 3.13 says every man's work will be made manifest. Wow, all the stuff I've done is going to be laid out. That's embarrassing. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So that means everyone's going to go through this fire. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the day of reckoning that will happen to every person that uh, has made it to heaven. This is not the judgment seat of Christ where the sheep and the goats are separated and if you don't make it through the fire, you're going to hell. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking that people that are saved are going to go through a fire. In fact, he's going to take all your works and throw them in the fire. And some stuff's going to get burned up and some stuff will make it through. The last verse tells us, but he himself shall be saved, but all of his works will be burned up. I would venture to say that part of my building, how I'm building my house, determining whether it's built of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, part of it is how much I have grown in the spirit of God, in the gift that he has given me. When he asked me, what have you done with what I've given you, just as he asked the three servants, what have you done? I hope he doesn't find me having maybe used some of my talents and abilities for the kingdom, but having buried the Holy Ghost that he's given me, the most important gift. The challenge would be, how much of the gift have I enwrapped in my life? And I think it would be a good starting point for us here at the beginning, the very first thing that Jesus, to talk about the very first thing that Jesus described the Holy Ghost as. And we'll be talking about a number of other things, but we're going to talk about this this morning. The first way that Jesus describes the Holy Ghost is as the comforter. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now that's very important for us to see there because that verse tells us that the same guy who dwelt, was dwelling with them, Jesus, is going to dwell in you the same. It can't be the same if it's different. Now that, that's deep right there. We just say it can't be the same if it's Jesus... The one person in the Godhead and then the Holy Ghost, the third person in the Godhead's in you. It's the same. Notice that? It's the same. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We find this promise given by Jesus to his disciples. And we know the fulfillment of this promise coming, of this comforter, was Acts chapter 2. And we read some of that earlier. He was leaving, but there would come comfort in a different manner Than the physical man who was standing beside them right now. That word another tells us though that it would be of the same level of comfort. Another comforter. Just like me there's going to be something inside of you. Despite the fact that there would be no physical presence of Jesus right there. The comforter that he was sending would be just as close as if Jesus was standing right there. Now you and I would much prefer the physical right? I'd rather have Jesus right there so that when so that when the preacher says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother I could stand up and clap my hands and Jesus sitting right there could stand up with me I'd be like, yeah, see he's right there. He's right. He's right with me. See I'm going over here He's still right here. He sticks with me I like that But that's not how it works But he says i'm sending you a comforter and it's going to be just the same as if I was right there So in my mind, I've got to to reconcile that in my mind. That although my physical nature would like to have a physical Jesus standing right next to me, we'd have to double the seating if everyone had their own little Jesus. (laughs) But instead of that, he's put something inside of you that is just the same. It's no less power than Christ walking on this earth. There's no less power. And so I don't want you to doubt for a minute... That the same power that was present in the physical form of Jesus is now present inside of you. That means that anything Jesus did, any power that he demonstrated in his life is inside of you. Scripture clearly tells us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. And I wonder that I can't make it. I wonder that things are too tough. I wonder why God won't do anything with me. Perhaps it's not God. Perhaps I just need to unwrap what he has put inside of me because it's all inside of me. So how does the Holy Ghost comfort me? I'm going to look at three areas, and this is not the only three areas, but these are the three that that you didn't decide, but I decided we would look at today. Two of them are found in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praised the dead which were already dead, more than the living which are yet alive and in the next verse he says in fact I'm going to praise those who aren't even born yet that have not even experienced life above both of these in chapter 3 chapter 3 starts with there's a time for everything a time and a season for everything there's a time to build there's a time to tear down there's a time to live there's a time to die there's a time for everything and it has this idea that there's seasons revolving that although you may be in this moment it will change and something else will happen And although that things may seem to be bad right now, there's a time for life. There's a time for death. There's a time for all of these things. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 4 starts, so I returned and considered. So he's been thinking about all of this stuff. And he comes back, he says there's a time for everything. And really what he'd been trying to do in chapter 3 is he'd been trying to find comfort in the fact that there was wicked people and things didn't seem to be happening bad to them. And he was comforting himself with saying there's a time for everything. Really, and you're an Ivanaka, there's coming a day. They're going to get it. That's the only way you deal with some people. <laughs> oh, I know one day they're going to get what's coming to them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but boy, I'm going to enjoy it. And so that's what he was doing in chapter 3. He's saying there's a time for everything. And he's seeing all the bad stuff happening, but then in, in chapter 4 he says, but I returned, and then, and then I looked around me. That's what he's thinking, then he saw everything around him. And he sees that there was oppressed people and says they had no comfort. There was people that were having a rough, rough time. They were under the thumb of someone else. They were poor. They couldn't get things together and they had no comfort. It didn't seem like their time was coming. And then he looked and he saw all the people who had the money, all the people who were oppressing, all the wicked. And he said, you know what? I see something there too. They got no comfort either. He looks at the oppressed and he looks at the oppressor and he comes to the same conclusion. They both lack a comforter. He was, trying to, he was trying to comfort himself with one day they're going to get it. One day it's all going to flip. One day I'm not going to be poor. I'm going to be rich. One day I'm going to get it all together. One day I'm going to have this. One day they won't have that. One day they'll die and leave me their boat. No. But see, and what he's speaking of here is the comforters is that in, in, they, had, they had nobody there. He's saying basically they're alone. They're alone in their misery. They're alone in their wealth They don't have anything or they have a bunch, but they're all alone Because in that time the comforters spoke of actually people We read that when job was going through his trial and circumstance his friends came to visit him They would have been known as comforters They came there and the reason they were coming was to comfort him And they got to job and they saw how bad it was and couldn't even talk for seven days That's a bad place when your friends can't talk for seven days. You look so bad but those were comforters. It was a common practice. And yet there is no comfort that can be brought to either of these people, really to anyone. And they could not be brought by the typical human means. He sees a futility with the efforts of life. And he goes so far as to even praise the dead because they seem better off than living. You wonder how people get to the point where they think I'd be better off dead than alive. It seems like the author is, is experiencing some of those emotions even. And to me, this speaks simply of living life to me. He's looking around and life is happening. Just life. And there seems to be no comfort in life. There seems to be a randomness to life. That bad people have good stuff happen to them and good people have bad stuff happening to them. And there's no human thing that can comfort. There's nothing that can can pull people out of what they're experiencing. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now there's several ways that this verse can be taken. But I believe that Jesus came to affect our life right now on earth. I believe life more abundant speaks of an eternity, of uh, of something that will last forever. But he came to bring us life right now in our circumstance. When we say life, though, we think of prosperity or at least having a taste of the good life somehow. But I do not have the Holy Ghost so that it can bring me riches. I do not have the Holy Ghost so I can be wealthy. I do not have the Holy Ghost believing that when I get it, I will now prosper in all things material. But it awakens something spiritual within me. That something that humans cannot bring me comfort with is what the author is saying. There was no human comfort that could lift them up, that could comfort them in their time of need. But when I receive the Holy Ghost, there's a comfort beyond anything human that can come to me in the middle of my life. When I begin to look around and life simply seems to begin to overtake me. I got to get up and go to work today. I got to I I I wish I could quit, but I can't because I've got to have money. I've got to have insurance. I got to work till this age. I've got to do this. And then when I got home, I've got to take care of the grass and this is broke. And then those people in the in the in the uh, uh station wagons are driving by my house and wanting to take stuff off my porch and fix my sewage for me. All that stuff's going on. And you know what happens all of a sudden? The Holy Ghost seems far. Really in the middle of life when kevin's at the dmv and there's all those people lined up and they're all yelling and screaming I, I'm not going to speak for kevin, but the holy ghost gets pushed a little bit back from our mind And the drudgery that the, the the nine to five the every day of life begins to have its toll on us And it doesn't matter if we go home and put our feet up and read the paper or whatever it is that we find to relax It doesn't seem to work. There is no comforter But let me tell you, there is a comforter if you have the Holy Ghost. That I can find a place in the middle of everything going on, in the middle of hectic life, in the middle of the ups and downs of life, no matter what time is going on. That in my present, it's not just a hope of heaven, but in my present, the Holy Ghost can be a comfort to me. When I look at the book of Acts, that's how I see the early church could survive in the conditions they did. When the times did not seem to change, they just got from worse to worse. But they had what the psalmist wrote about in Psalms 46. It says, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Sometimes in the middle of my trouble is the moment when life is just crowding me out. I just need the Holy Ghost to comfort me. And you have that within you to do that in your life. It's there. Whenever I want it in my life, I have a comfort today. I have a comforter in my life. You may not see all the times that you want in your life. As you get older, those times, you're like, man, I thought I'd be here, but I'm still here. You may not see all the times that you want in your life, but let me remind you this morning that through every time, no matter if it turns or it doesn't, you still have a comforter in your life. Lamentations lets us see another way the Holy Ghost can comfort. Lamentations 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. Therefore, she is removed. All that honoreth her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end. Therefore, she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. We see in these verses. These reference the downfall of jerusalem and in this we see the prophet speaking There's a regret That's mentioned Looking back to what it used to be. There's a shame That's talked about and there's a guilt that is flooded over the people that jerusalem is not lifted up Jerusalem is not the jewel that it once was but there's regret There's shame and there's guilt that's flooded in and let me remind you that it was all their own fault The reason that Jerusalem, the reason that the people were in the situation they were, hanging their harps and not being able to sing the songs of Zion and weeping and crying, it was all their own fault. The prophets had warned for years, if you don't turn, this is what's going to happen. And they had refused to hear the voice of God. So they are not in this by just chance circumstance. This is not just life having its way. This is them choosing to do things wrong. But in these verses, we read that there is no comforter that can be found in these times the shame is too great the guilt is too great the regret is too great there is no comfort for those many times this word that is used for comfort that we find in this passage here is also translated as repentance in the old testament and i want to challenge you although it may seem difficult at the time in the moment when things seem like that when you feel like you're in the moment of the most shame the most guilt the most regret It may seem difficult to begin to talk about it, but let me say there's no comfort like that of repentance. There's no comfort like repentance. I know sometimes it's difficult to begin to speak even to God in those private moments of what is going on in your life, but there is no comfort like the comfort of repentance. And I want to challenge you today that you can have comfort in the middle of your sin through repentance. You can have comfort in your life when you begin to repent, that you can receive comfort from the regret, the guilt, and the shame in your life as you begin to turn towards God. You see, when I receive the Holy Ghost, I need to understand that I speak in tongues, which shows an ultimate control over the spirit in my life but I need to make sure that I'm letting the Holy Ghost into those secret places of my life into those areas of my life that keep a hold of regret that keep a hold of shame that although I feel and know I know because scripture tells me that I am forgiven and my sins are cast yet inside the secret places I'm still ashamed I still regret things I'm still guilty about things and none of those come from the Holy Ghost those are things that hold me back and sometimes because it gets uncomfortable I close them off from the Holy Ghost. But I need to let the Holy Ghost comfort me over my mistakes. I need to let the Holy Ghost comfort me over the faults and failings in my life. You see, the Holy Ghost doesn't excuse my mistakes. It doesn't even fix sometimes the consequences. But I will challenge you to let the Lord do that. Let the Holy Ghost do it in your life because it can comfort you and it can allow you to move past what has already been forgiven by the Lord. It just hasn't been forgiven. In myself. You see, the Holy Ghost can comfort the consequences that come when I sin. It can comfort the circumstances that arise. It can comfort the feelings that come when I mess up. And there's people that sit here today and while you may have the Holy Ghost in your life and while you may have experienced a new birth and while you may know in your mind that your sins are forgiven, your life is not hampered because you're not trying to get close to God. Your life is not hampered because you don't have enough of God. Your life is hampered because your shame and regret and guilt are keeping you from getting any closer. You need to let the Holy Ghost comfort you in those areas. And the last thing I want to look at is how the Holy, about how the Holy Ghost can comfort us is found in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed you were sealed, With that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Paul tells tells the Thessalonians these words in 1 Thessalonians 4, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. You see, the last thing the Spirit does is it comforts me by reminding me of where I am going in my life. You see when there's nobody around it says comfort one another with these words But what if there's nobody around? What if it's just you in the middle of the situation? What if it's you in the hospital room and there's nobody else there? What if it's you that receives the phone call and no one's there? There's no message to cheer you up. There's no person to encourage you What happens on the day when it starts bad and it just gets worse? You know what I need? I need a comfort in my life and the comfort that I can have is that there is an inheritance waiting for me that there's an, uh, an inheritance that's reserved for me that has my name upon it. And the way that I'm reminded about where I'm going is because I have the Holy Ghost inside of me. It tells me that the Holy Ghost is the seal of a promise. That when I receive the Holy Ghost, that's God's word saying, you know what? Keep walking in my ways and I've got something greater for you. I've got something in store for you in me, in your life. You see, it can cause something to stir within me as I begin to think about heaven, even in the darkest of times, even when life seems to get me down, even when circumstances turn against me, something can begin to stir within me. It's the Spirit saying, you know what? I know things are bad, but listen, there's something greater that I have in store for you. In the middle of a world gone crazy, there's something greater in store for you. In the middle of trouble and persecution, there's something greater in store for you. In the middle of my distress and heartache, The Holy Ghost can give me comfort because of my final destination. So wherever I am, I can begin to pray in the Spirit. And I begin to find comfort as I remember that I'm sealed with the Holy Ghost. That what I have inside of me is just a down payment of all that is waiting for me in heaven. I wonder if the challenge, sometimes the challenge is is that because I can't find comfort in my destination, it doesn't stir me like I need to. Perhaps I need to unwrap the gift a little bit more. Inside of me. You see because in my darkest moments. The hope of heaven is a bright light. In the middle of everything. It's something that pulls me helps me understand that i can make it through and so you know what when i get in a situation i don't know if i can make it i don't know if i can make it through this situation what's going on you know what i need to do whether you lift your hands whatever you do i just need to begin to pray in the spirit and all of a sudden a comfort can begin to come over me something that human humanity cannot bring me something that this earth cannot bring me but there's a hope in my present situation of what is to come i wonder if we could stand this morning Amen. I want all the fullness of the Holy Ghost in my life. And might start out with this simple as he called it a comforter. Am I letting the Holy Ghost comfort me the way that I need to? Am I looking elsewhere for my comfort? Or maybe you just need to start looking back inside yourself to the power that's been placed inside of you. I want us to pray this morning that the Lord would help us to unwrap the gift that he has put inside of us. Lord Jesus, we come before you.